When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm so excited to share my interview with Seth Perler, who is an executive functions expert, the founder of the Executive Functions Summit, and overall great source of really just everything executive functions. Now, I typically plan interviews to be like 20, 30 minutes, and our interview went way longer because there were so many things that I wanted to talk to him about. You guys know I love executive functions, and he has so many great actionable strategies within our interview. And I love how he shares so many examples and ways to think about things and ways to approach different skills. So I'm really excited for you to hear it. I think you're going to learn a ton. And if you are already on the executive functions bandwagon, you're going to have so many great ideas to bring into your classroom or through home. So let's go ahead and hear from Seth. Hi, Seth. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Sasha. I am excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, and I'm just going to make the guess that it's probably one of your favorite topics too, executive functions, because you are an executive functions coach and expert, and I can't wait for you to kind of share your advice with all of us. Right on. It is my favorite thing. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a nerd. Yeah, absolutely. So I would guess that a lot of you know my audience has somewhat of a good idea of what executive functions are, but for those that this topic is a little bit newer, can you give a little bit of an overview of what executive functions are? Yeah, we kind of we're chatting in the pre-interview a little bit about about this and and figuring that most people have a little bit more of a grasp on it in your audience than 
the general public does, but still, um, it is astounding to me how few teachers have ever even heard of it. And I don't fault the teachers for this at all, uh, but it is such an important topic. So what executive function is and why is why it's so important? What executive function is, is it's how the front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobe, this front third or so of your brain, if you put your hand on your forehead, it's the that area right behind your hand. That part of the brain helps us to execute tasks. So for example, you and I are recording this podcast, you know, we have our mic set up, we have our, our light set up, our computers on, uh, we had to do a lot of things to execute this one big complicated task. We had to plan, we had to prioritize. We have to resist distractions. I have my door closed. I'm sure you have your door closed. I told the people in my house, hey, no distractions for the next hour or so. And um, we had to prioritize. We have to remove distractions and so that we can focus and pay attention and concentrate. All of these things I'm listing are executive functions. These are all parts or aspects of executive function. Now, I talk about 13 different things and it doesn't really matter. There are other experts that say five, three, eight, ten executive functions. doesn't matter. We're all saying basically the same things. It's anything that the brain has to do in order to help us execute whatever the task is, whether it's doing homework, cleaning a bedroom, filling out a job application, uh, cooking a meal, um, getting ready for school in the morning. And all of these things require the planning, the organization, the focus, the time management, the all, all of these sorts of things. So that is generally what it's about. It is, and the reason it's so important is because I, I, there are many reasons, but I'm going to give you one big reason, Sasha, and everybody listening, one big reason it's so important. One reason that it's so important is because it's so misunderstood by parents, teachers, by the world, society at large. It's misunderstood in many ways, but one of the main, most painful ways that it's misunderstood is that people uh, will perceive or believe that the human being is not doing the thing, not executing on whatever the task is because they are being willful, because they won't. So is it a can't or is it a won't? The brain, All of our brains develop very differently. Different aspects of our brains develop at different rates. Executive function, it, people who have executive function challenges, um, these are developmental issues, unless there is a brain trauma or something. But generally speaking, uh, and for the purpose of this conversation, these are the brain is still developing. So what happens is, is that we are asking the person to do something that they can't do. Now, then the immediate thought that comes into a parent or a teacher's mind is, but I've seen you do it before. And that, <laughs> again, is riddled with misunderstanding um, because it has everything to do with the context in the particular situation and all these factors, um, why somebody can't execute uh, on, on the task at, at that particular time. So, and now, are there times when it's when it's a, that they won't, they just won't do it, that somebody, yeah. And it gets worse, the more jaded kids get and the more they've had um, really painful experience, educational experiences, um, which is not anyone's intent, but these kids have internalized a lot of shame uh, around 
that. You don't try hard enough. You're lazy. You're not motivated. You have so much potential. I, you just need to put forth more effort and these sorts of messages that are, that are not understanding that there is a legitimate developmental delay. Even with I like somebody who's clap. Brilliant. I like really want to like clap right now because I talk about can't and won't so often, and people will probably like, like you and I didn't talk about this before. No, we but did I not. talk about can't and won't all the time, and I think and I, you explained that so well. And I think the won't is an easier label to throw on a kid. Like, oh, he's just stubborn. He's just lazy. It kind of like takes the onus off of the educator, or the parent. Not that they're doing that on purpose, but it's a lot more work to address a can't. It is a lot more work to address the can't. And that reminds me of something else. Maybe you talk about this a lot. I think that is, I think that letter grades, A, B, C, D, F, are morally wrong. I use that language very specifically. I think they are morally wrong. I think it's disgusting that we still use them. Then people say, you probably have the same thing, but then they say, well, then how are we supposed to know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, there are many different ways to assess learning and to assess what's going on in a more authentic way. Um, but people don't know that, right? They, they, yeah. You know, we've grown up with grades. It's such a part of our culture for 150 years. We just don't think about it. But we really, um, we have this metric called F, called fail. And so going back to your point, I am circling back to this. If we think that it's a won't and they fail or they fail a class or they fail a grade or they fail out of high school or they fail, you know, notice I'm saying they fail, T-H-E-Y, they fail, the kid fails, right? If we have a perception that they fail, then that that's on them, right? Mm -hmm. But what if we switched it? What if it, when a kid, quote, failed, we what if our whole narrative was, Wow, the school failed that kid. The teacher failed that kid. The parents failed that kid. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty or anything, but I'm just so for those of you who are thinking I'm trying trying to be uh, might feel attacked right now. That's not my intention at all. But the narrative is that they are the failure because they won't comply and execute and take the action that they're required to take to show that they've done the thing that they're supposed to do. And you know, our whole narrative. Well, I'm not going to get too deep into this, everybody out there, but I think you get the picture that is it a can't or a won't. Uh, to to your point, if it's a won't, it is so much easier. If it's a can't, we really have to check ourselves and say, what are we doing that we could be doing differently to meet their needs? And it and that's so the like grade thing is is such a great analogy on. Yeah, what if we said, hey, no, we failed that kid and it's hard to take that on, but, you know, it's our job as educators to set up the environments and to provide the appropriate learning opportunities and supports. And when we see kids continuously struggle with the same things, but we're not changing what we're doing, it feels like, what's that, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. It's like, well, these kids keep struggling with organization and time management and impulse control, but this is how my classroom is. So just deal with it. And instead, it's like, no, well, wait, maybe what we're doing is not what that student needs. Yeah. And we don't really have that kind of dialogue. And thank you so much for doing your podcast where you can have discussions that go to s such deeper levels. But we don't have that dialogue in, in our systems. Our systems don't invite that sort of dialogue. We really like staying comfortable in the status quo and perpetuating the ideas that you know, we need these, and I'm not saying textbooks are bad or tests are bad, blah, blah, blah. But the way we use our whole system of textbooks and curriculum and curriculum manufacturers and testing 
and grades and grade levels and standards. And these things in and of themselves aren't bad things, but the way we use them, we, we just, we don't even question it anymore. And, mm-hmm. and the conversation that you and I are having, thank you for every, all of you listening. Thank you for taking time to listen to stuff like this and to think about stuff like this because we need you. I do want to say that to everybody, particularly any of the professionals that are out there, like these families, these kids, we need you. And uh, I know sometimes it can feel like a thankless job, but oh my gosh. And I know that most people don't feel like that because you, you get we so much, so many of us are so fulfilled by this, this sort of work, but we really need you. And, and thank you for taking, being the type of professional that takes the time to think about these sorts of conversations. You know, and that's a great, like, as you were saying that, my mind kind of wandered a second to thinking about, yes, okay, a lot of the people that are listening are probably the teachers that, you know, have drank the Kool-Aid. They're like, yes, I need more ideas and I'm going to try all these strategies. But it's it's also about like spreading it in the communities they work in and the schools they work in. What's your advice for for teachers and for parents for trying to kind of get others on board that maybe seem reluctant to changing things or questioning things? Because part of your job is kind of being that like salesperson and advocate within your whole broader school community? Wow, that's a great question. First of all, I would say be the squeaky wheel. Now, that is hard to say because you may get pressure and resistance and have real consequences from the administration if you're the squeaky wheel. So I know that some of you are in uh, dysfunctional situations where you can't be the squeaky wheel. Fine. I, I understand that. But that's the first thing that I would say is be the squeaky wheel. And when you do get resistance and it's safe to push against that resistance, push against it. Because I, I've been, I was a teacher for 12 years and then I've been doing what I'm doing now since 2010. So I've been doing this a long time and I have heard so many stories from so many teachers. Um, I've heard everything you can possibly imagine, but I see patterns, the same patterns over and over. And many of them are going through the same sorts of things where they do try to speak up, but then they're they're somehow pressured to not. That can be from other teachers or that can be from admin um, or other staff. And these things can be very subtle, you know, but but they are real. You know, there's pressure. Do not speak up. Do what are you saying? You, you know, stop that. You know, the, we want to stay status quo. It's hard. So my my thoughts on that is do be the squeaky wheel. When you get that resistance and you're questioning yourself, there's the term gaslighting. You might feel gaslighted that that um, that what you say is is not valuable and you know that you're wrong. And, but there's that feeling in your gut that you're not. My my thought is please continue to do what you can. Don't don't just be like, oh my gosh, am I crazy? I, I must be crazy. Okay, I'm I'm gonna let this one go. Like, don't just let it go. Like, really hold on to that quiet voice in your gut and see w- what your truth is and follow that. Because again, these kids need you. Meaning that the the words that we say, the things that we do, that we, we impact lives for years to come. These kids need you and, and, and the things that you do and say and model really can have tremendous impacts on, on the kids' lives. The second thing that I would say is I'm me, Seth, personally, I'm not very interested in changing people's minds who are super resistant. You, you kind of alluded to a type of teacher earlier that is super rigid. Like that type of teacher, in my experience, they don't change. 
usually. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I don't have the time or the energy to sort of like worry about them so much, but the people who have the open mind and who are your like-minded peers, your like-minded teachers, your like-minded staff, whether they're in your school or they're in another school or they're in another state and you meet them online or whatever, but find your people, find your like-minded people and connect with them and build each other up. And I want to wrap this up by saying this. One of the things that I, I believe and that I've, I've learned in, in time is that there are, okay, so we have this behemoth, uh, sorry for getting off on these tangents. Sorry, not no, sorry. No, I love it. I, I love, love a tangent. Yeah. But yeah. we have this behemoth system, this very powerful system. And the intention is always good. And thank goodness for great teachers and great staff and these life-changing people who may seem like small within the context of the system, but that impact lives in, in a very direct way. Thank goodness for these people that are, are in this often, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes very dysfunctional system and, and way of uh, doing education because they are lifesavers. Now, the system has so much power. It creates so many waves, but there are, and I have a summit, TIFO's the Executive Function Online Summit, and then I interview all these people every year, and and you interview, you're on 200, over 200 podcasts. You've done so many interviews. I would guess you find the same thing. Please tell me if you do, but here's what I find. There are so many teachers, paras, parents, uh, people who we call, quote, experts, uh, authors, uh, speakers. There are so many people there that are making little ripples that often nobody really knows, especially like a lot of these paras or teachers in the classroom that they're doing magic. They're doing amazing things. They are pulling stuff right out of thin air to create on the fly in a classroom that inspires their kids at this time. And that's like, they, they're creating so many things that are not in a book somewhere that are not in a, how to be a teacher book somewhere that are not in a guide that are not in a staff development. Some, time that the district requires people to take or whatever. They're doing magic. They are creative human beings. Okay. Teachers are usually not thought of as artists. I think teachers are artists. They're creators. They're creatives. They, their palette is the classroom. Their palette is, is inspiring these kids and good teachers. They really take time to really attune with the nervous systems of the kids in their classrooms and, and who these people are as human beings. And there's this term called differentiation, but differentiation that means that they personalize and tailor and customize educational experiences to meet the needs of all different sorts of needs in a classroom. So great teachers really meet all sorts of needs brilliantly. So what, I, what I'm wrapping up in, in this concept here is just those of you listening, you are that creative. You are that magician. You are that person that you have done. I, I just think when I left teaching, I had people, you know, parents who, who or, or schools or teachers or whatever, asking me as if I knew something, right? Because I called myself an executive function coach and I started YouTubing and this, that, and the other, they would act as if I knew something. I'm like, I'm no different than you. Like, but they would say, can you help us with this? I'd be like, of course I did that as a teacher all the time. And nobody ever noticed it. Like, these are things that teachers do day in and day out. People valued it so much. And I started to realize that there are people doing such amazing work so that you, the person listening right this very second, you have done a million incredibly creative things 
find those things that you do and develop them more and share them with your like-minded peers. That's where I'm sort of circling back to this. When you can get a group of people and you you all can do what I really wish um, administrators would do a better job of is finding what these people do well. There's so much pressure on admin to make sure that people are dotting their I's and crossing their T's in terms of whatever their particular district defines success as in that school. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So they, they have a lot of pressure on them to make sure that these things look the way they're supposed to look. And a lot of times it feels to me like the soul has been sucked out of the, the school when, when they get so focused on these like metrics and we forget why we're there, but remember why you're there. Remember you already are incredible. You've already done it. Figure out those things in the last however many years that you've done that really seem to work really well and develop those. Even if it doesn't seem uh, aligned with the curriculum, figure out how you can make it look aligned enough <laughs> so that you can do your magic because you are an artist. You're not someone who's just supposed to follow a prescription called a textbook and a curriculum. And if you do these things, then your kids are going to take these tests and jump through these hoops and then they're going to be educated the way they need to be. Like trust your gut and trust your creative gut and, and keep developing that and share it with those like-minded people who are going to like make a little group, a mastermind. I don't care what you call it, but there are people out there. There are so many. And I feel like we're very disconnected in the education world. You know, we go to our classrooms. We need a break. We go home. We unwind. Or we continue grading or lesson planning for the next day, whatever. But there are so many individual people making ripples. And I really think that when we come together, we make bigger ripples. We make waves. And to really change things. We really need like a tidal wave because we're, again, there's this behemoth of a system. And I really like when people shake it up and, and support each other and build each other up and help each other develop how awesome they already are. Anyhow, there is a big rambly ram. Ramble. No, I loved that. And like, as you were, as you were explaining that, I, I was thinking about teachers that I've you know known or worked with, like, oh man, that teacher was so great at this, or she was so great at connecting with students. This teacher was so great at setting up her class in like super organized way. And, and it wasn't even necessary to what grade or setting they taught in, but they had something, you know, that they were really good at. And sometimes schools set things up that like maybe intend to have that collaboration, but it ends up being, oh God, I have to be on this PLC. And it's like, it's not really intending to like connect people and share, like you said, their gifts or things like, Hey, this worked for me. It might work for you. And what do you have to offer? Like, what do you have? That's really great too. But if we can get to more of that, then we can just be sharing all these great ideas all the time. Yeah. We miss out. I feel like on so much brilliance. Yeah. And it's right. there. I mean, and they're doing, you know, teachers are doing it behind closed doors too. Cause they're like, I'm supposed to be teaching this, but you know what? We're going to segue and we're going to go on this detour because kids are into it and let's run with it. And those are the artists, like you said, the great teachers that are allowing their kids to like get in touch with their passion. And that's when we're going to see, you know, let's loop it all the way back. That's when we're going to see executive functions build because. Oh yeah. We're talking about executive functions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it ties into everything, but you know, then, cause then kids are able to have, you know, they're, we're building rapport. We have reinforcers built in and that's when we're going to have those opportunities to really increase skills. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So kind of looping back to to what we were starting to talk about with executive functions, because I think you can really go everywhere with this. What are some, when you see, you know, kind of defined in a really great way what executive functions are, and what are some kind of big picture indicators you see with kids that are showing you that, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is, I'm struggling with these executive functions. Like maybe my academics are great, but like you said, I have failing grades, but I know the content. Like, what are some other indicators that you see students showing you that they're struggling with these? Yeah, I mean, the, the most obvious one would be the the grades, but the grades really are, and, and oftentimes we're looking at the grades and say saying you need to raise your grades, again, with the can't and the won't, right? Like the skills that they need to do what they're being asked to raise their grades are not there. So we we need to come at it with from that sort of a question, like, what if we're asking that question, what skills would this kiddo need in order to be able to be, quote, successful in whatever, assuming that the task they're being asked to do is a valid task? Because there's obviously a lot of busy work sometimes, unfortunately, that um, really is not where somebody needs to be putting, the, the child needs to be putting their energy necessarily. Um so, but but aside from that, let's say that it's a really valuable thing. We really want this kid to learn X, Y, and Z. They need X, Y, and Z skills. Well, the skills to learn those skills, the, the executive function skills. So looking at what would they need? Now, can you give me an example? Because if you can give me an example of a kiddo, then I can really break it down in a cool executive function way. Can you think of somebody? Yeah, let's look at like you know, let's say a setting is like self-contained, early childhood, special education classroom, first through third grade, student is struggling, getting into the door, putting their backpack away, putting their back, you know, their coat away, checking their schedule, starting their bell ring or whatever it is, their morning work. And it just seems like, oh, he just doesn't want to come to school. He just, you know, he doesn't like school. He doesn't, he doesn't want to come to school. That's like that quick and easy could be like the won't do. Like he doesn't want to come to school. Like what, what could be going on there? Yeah, so the danger there, yeah, is thinking that that it's that it's the won't, and that they just need to try harder and just um, stop playing with Legos in the morning and just focus on getting their stuff together and getting out the door. Well, so in this in this case, um, there are a lot of things going on. So really, at this age, you're going to see a lot uh, a lot with what's called working memory. So if the kid's having trouble getting going through the routines of coming into the classroom, working memory has, has to do with how they're juggling all those tasks. So they're walking into a classroom and they have to use executive function to focus, concentrate, pay attention to what they're doing. But they go in there and their friends are there and there's all these, 
you know, sounds and, and all this stimulation. And they're supposed to be focusing on putting their coat on the hook and getting their lunchbox in the right place or whatever these things are. But there's so many more interesting things going on. So um, they're really distracted by these things. So anyhow, when I think about a situation like that, so that there are, you know, there's the organization coming into play, the focus and attention, the distractions coming into play, the prioritization coming into play. There are all these executive functions happening. But um, I, I guess one of the things that I, I use the term micro a lot. So I use the term micro successes. Um, and I just, I want things, I talk about chunking a lot. I want things chunked down into very small pieces where this student can experience the thing called success. Now, success is different in, in different contexts. In this context, success might be looking at the routine that this kid's going through, taking some of it off their plate, being like, hey, I'll help you, like really empathetically and compassionately being like, I'm going to be helping this kid out for a good month in terms of a lot of parts of the process. But let's see what parts, and, and this is so granular, but this is differentiation. This is what we need. And I know that some of the teachers out there are like, but Seth, I'm so busy. And I know I, I do get that. But aside from that, it is getting really granular with this kid and saying, okay, they don't know where to hang their coat up. So to really compassionately say, hey, this week, let's really work on hanging your coat up. I'm going to walk over to you every day and ask them, you know, hey, do you have any ideas for how we can make this easier? Sometimes the kid will give you the best idea in the world and you didn't even have to think of it. <laughs> and it's like perfect and that solves the problem. Sometimes you're going to get uh, those bonuses. Um, and sometimes you may, you know, just have to really work with it. And let's say you, you, it takes a week to start getting the coat and you've taken the rest off their plate and then you start with a lunchbox or whatever. So it's really patiently and compassionately and persistently giving them a routine. I'm very big on visuals. So can you make that routine where they even draw their own little picture of the three-step process of check-in in the morning and put it in their little cubby and help walk them through looking at those three steps every morning until they're used to that, yada, yada. So I think the the overarching concept that I'm, that I'm suggesting to people is um, breaking it down into very small, micro-successful pieces and starting from there to walk them through those routines. Uh, I'm also discussing ownership and buy-in. We're getting them to be a part of the process uh, and the more you can do that, the better. And I'm also discussing um, visual or sensory cues in general or cues. We could make it even broad enough to just say cues. Um, but how can we create meaningful cues to help them be successful in that routine? Now, all of this is executive function because when we're walking them through a process, and this is so granular and it seems so energy intensive for the adult, but this pays off in so many ways because it's helping the brain learn how to create routines, how to implement routines in a really patient way rather than what's going on, which is that they're coming in, they're getting stressed, they're feeling unsuccessful, they're not wanting to come to school. They don't really know why. They just know that the experience they're having from the pressure, from the frustration from the teacher, from you know feeling like they can't do things fast enough or good enough, they're internalizing that. So, yeah, that... That yeah, no, I love that. That's a great, and and I think you can take those same ideas, and I'm you know apply that to a high schooler struggling to remember to bring their planner home. You know, same things, and the those I like the word micro too. That's a great word. 
because it's it's about those baby steps. Like you're not gonna like oh by Friday we'll get this done and and you gotta like scale back. Like we don't teach kids to read a novel like in first grade. We we do that really we do this all very fluently with academics, but for some reason it doesn't feel as natural when it comes to like the behavioral component. I have an idea why. Why? <laughs> There's so no right. standards we, for behavior. <laughs> yeah, we we have we have things called math and science and social studies and language arts. We have these, but we don't teach executive function. And kids or human beings with naturally strong executive function who are more compliant and compliant can be positive or negative. I'm not, but um, who are more compliant, who, who are motivated by checking things off the, the list who are motivated. Um, and they, they feel good when this thing is accomplished. They feel good when things are in order. Well, these kids who struggle with executive function are not motivated that way. Mm-hmm. They're not saying, Oh my gosh, I can accomplish that thing and hung it on the hook. And I feel so much better. So, um, because some people really naturally pick up on these skills. These are very, 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 very complex skills that take a very long time to develop. And some kids who developmentally, it comes easier to them. It appears as if they care more, they're more motivated. They don't procrastinate. It appears like they're just like trying harder. Mm-hmm. It appears that way, but no, they have actually practiced those routines so many times and they've gotten really good at them. They've built the skill set. And we don't teach these skills. So the kids who don't, we and we when we keep perpetuating that false narrative that you just need to try harder, we're not addressing it ever. So that's my theory as to why that these are sort of invisible things. Yeah. And when we misunderstand this invisible thing and we don't use direct instruction for it, for the kids who need it, then yeah. They're just not. You can totally see how it snowballs from like a small problem in early childhood. Cause like a lot of kids struggle with these things in, in a kindergarten, first grade, second, like, oh, that's really typical and developmentally appropriate, whatever. Yeah. Not everyone's going to listen every time. But like if we don't address it, suddenly by fifth grade, it's a pretty big problem. By high school, we're failing out of high school and it's a major problem. I'm really glad you said that because most of the kids I work with are middle high school, college. Why? Because the red flags aren't red enough in the lower grades. So I do want to say if you're getting a gut feeling that there's a problem, really pursue looking into that earlier. The earlier there's an intervention, the better. And I do want to definitely hit on some things that people can do in the home or the classroom that are more tangible before we wrap up today as well. Yeah, let's hear those. But (laughs) I don't want to... No, I want to hear the tangible things. Yeah. We we Um, love an action strategy here. Well, I don't know where to start with tangible, but I'll start with tangible in terms of, um, let's go back to the cues. Mm -hmm. So your kids who pick up on routines really easily, you know, they, they somehow, they don't need the cues or they have their own cues or they hear more subtle cues more easily. But what I did and do when I'm working with people now, but what I did as a teacher as well is really use as much cueing as possible to make anything that's replicatable in the classroom. I want it to be so easy and simple. Okay. So here's something that's replicatable. Uh, Turn your math into the math inbox. Okay. That's something that you do over and over and over. That's what I mean by replicatable. Hang your coat up on the, on the hook. Go to your locker. What these, these sorts of things are replicatable. Uh, Pull out your pencil, you know, these sorts of things. So Um, anytime we can make cues 
for those things really obvious, the easier, the better. So imagine a restaurant you go into and you're like standing there and you're confused and you're like, are we supposed to seat ourselves or, and you're like, what's up with the menu? And, you know, and then you go to a restaurant that's really well organized and it just flows, you know, it's so easy to now I think that's probably a good example here, right? They've really intentionally taken time to make it so that you don't have to think. And I'm saying this in a very good way. They're making their routines of what you're supposed to do. They're helping cue you in a really beautiful way. Okay, That's just like a silly example. But the same thing, imagine your classroom. Put yourself in the kid's shoes, and they walk in there. And the kid who's really struggling, are, are there cues for them to know what's going on? So here's more specific what I mean. Are things color-coded? Do they know where supplies are? Are the supplies labeled with the word? Are they labeled with an image? Are they labeled with a color? Is that label large and clear and easy to see from across the classroom? Um, is there too much visual stimulus in the classroom where those labels may be big and bright and easy to see, but there's so many things that it's, even though and I'm that type of person myself, like I love lots of visual stimulation, but in the classroom, there's that's got to be really thought through like can somebody who's who's very visually distracted um really see the cues the visual cues that you put up um and are are the is there a home for everything do all the kids in the class know where the home for everything is and anything that's a routine can you make those routines into visual checklists whether it's with words or images or colors or all three and can those visual checklists be very 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 simple we do not want a 17 point inspection of turning your homework in or whatever the the getting ready for lining up for recess or whatever like, is it anything that's a replicatable routine? Are those, you know, really easy for kids to find cues for? Are there ways that you could use auditory cues or, or kinesthetic cues or this or that? So that's one of the first things. When you look at your classroom environment, and I'm, I can only go so deep in this conversation, but the point is, is when you're looking to really step back and put yourself in the kid's shoes when you're looking at the physical environment in the classroom and ask yourself, is it like that sort of a restaurant or a store or something that's so easy to navigate um, for you? You know, or can you imagine yourself in a situation? It, let's say you're the type of teacher who has great executive function and that stuff doesn't bother you. Well, I'm sure there are places <laughs> you go and you're like baffled. That's what this kid feels like all the time. That's a great example. Cause as you're talking about the restaurant where like, you don't know what to do. I was also thinking about like the stress response. Like, I mean, even as an adult, sometimes you're like, well, this is weird. Should we go somewhere else? Like you start feeling anxious. And so if you think about it from like a mental health standpoint for our kids too, if they're walking into a setting every day, that's causing like that stress response, like we're starting our day at like a negative then right away. Yeah. Yeah, I could go on with that and with attachment <laughs> yeah, that's theory. Sorry, not to open that can of worms, no, but, but that's yeah. so true. And executive function uh, includes emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. And the prefer that front part of the brain, when we're stressed, it's not getting the blood flow and the nutrients at that time because our body is going into a protective state. We're feeling unsafe and we're feeling threatened. So our body's using resources to make sure we can stay safe. But we are safe, but it doesn't mean we feel safe. So yeah, the, the more predictable and concrete 
the routines are in the classroom, the better they're going to be able to follow them. But again, it, it, we this assumes that we are assuming that it's a can't. And that's, I think, it's just such a big key here. So that's somewhat practical. So I'm, I'm talking about, first of all, the homes for things, but also the routines in the classroom. Those are two different things, everybody. So this has to do with organization with executive function. We're organizing supplies and materials and things in the classroom. And it also has to do with routines, which is the step-by-step. This is, you could think of this as synonymous with planning. So planning, planners, organizer, uh, time organizers, calendars, agendas, like things that kids, when they get in around fifth grade, they're really going to have to develop planning skills much, much, much better. But this is also routines have everything to do with planning. So this also is helping executive function with that. I don't know if I'm giving you practical. No, I love all these. I'm like, yeah, yeah, keep going. Yeah. No, I I think in, you know, you really hit the nail on the head with the whole like visually overwhelmed component of a classroom because I walk into a lot of classrooms where I'm just like, oh gosh. And like, and even if it's adorable, I'm like, it's, it's cute, but it's a lot. It's a lot. And, and I've been kind of encouraging teachers lately. I'm like, go get with your OTs and ask them to come in your room That's a great and, idea. and be like, hey, from a visual standpoint, because we think of, you know, sensory integration and sensory input, like your OTs are going to have some great advice here and have them come to your gen ed classrooms too. Like all, a lot of our kids with IEPs have consult minutes, like use those minutes for that because you're right. If you make the best visual and label, but if it's too distracting with everything else, really what's the point? That's, that's a great idea. Get some, and, and ask the kids. Yeah, that's true. I, and I like your kind of repeated kind of suggestion of, yeah, going to the student and really involving the student as much as you can. I want to like gear off in one kind of different direction for before we wrap up, because I'm curious your answer, because I get asked this a lot. So when it comes to executive functions and developmental skills, what role does diagnosis play, like autism, ADHD, those types of things? What role does that play in how you approach building these skills? And that's a very broad question to try to answer succinctly, but. Yeah. So I have read so many neuropsych reports. It's not even funny. And, um, IEPs and 504s and all, and just so many documents in general, but in terms of diagnosis, I think that diagnosis. So I, I like Temple Grandin is really interesting in how she talks about labels. Um, but the just for me is this labels in and of themselves are not good or bad. They serve a purpose to have an accurate label, a diagnosis. That's a really, so there's misdiagnosis, there's underdiagnosis, there's overdiagnosis, and then there's a diagnosis that's spot on. When you have somebody who's really taken the time to really do an in-depth, correct diagnosis, the information that we have from that diagnosis is great. It is so good to know those things. Um, it, people have been studying. Uh, so for people who are like anti-label altogether, I don't agree with that. I mean, people have been researching all sorts of things for so like They've dedicated their lives to helping people in different areas. Like why wouldn't we use the label to find that out? Um, so when the label can help, when there's a correct diagnosis, I think it's really valuable to know those things. Um, obviously if there's misdiagnosis, underdiagnosis, overdiagnosis, blah, blah, then that's a different story because we're going to be doing what I started in the very beginning of this conversation talking about, which is we are going to be misunderstanding the, the person and thus not 
serving them how we want to be serving them. So as long as there's a correct diagnosis, they can be super helpful. In my work, um, I want to know the diagnosis, but I'm much more interested in two things. One is what the kid or the parent says just sort of off the cuff about who this human being is. It's not that complicated to just ask questions from the heart where you're really attuned with the other human being that you're talking to, the parent or the kid, whatever, and you're really, really present and listening to them and just listening to their heart of who this person is. That can be a lot of times more insightful or more valuable than the diagnosis. Um, or I should say it's, it's, there are different pieces of information, but like, I, I want to know just what they think is helpful. Like they know their kid, you know, um, you can have all this technical jargon in, in a document or whatever. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the neuropsych reports too, like they're so long and they, they oftentimes don't necessarily give me much. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times things seem very cut and pasted and they probably are, but I, I don't they know how they do. Are. Okay. Um, same with IAPs and 504. Yeah. So it's like they're jumping through the hoops they have to jump through, but what valuable information can I get out of that? Now, so there's the diagnosis. What I am more interested in is I am more interested in what is the problem? Meaning, like if I were to say the student, uh, I, I have to do sort of a lot of fishing to figure out what's going on with the student. But let's say that I, I say, all right, so let's say that I start working with you, Sasha. And I'm like, all right, Sasha, have you ever failed a class, Sasha? No. Well, yes, sure. Yes. You have? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. But I, I'll you play haven't? the role. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You'll well. That, that, have you really struggled with the class? Yes. Can you remember one in particular? Statistics. Statistics. Yeah. Tell me about that. Now I'm asking you a very just for people listening right now. I'm modeling what I would be doing, but I, I'm just I started with a really open ended question to her, which is, "Tell me about that." Like so open, but I'm just super open. Tell me about that. It was one of my first online classes. So that was hard because I didn't have a lot of visual support and I'm not naturally very good at math. So that was my, I think the source of my struggle is I didn't have a lot of like modeling for how to do things correctly because it was a lot of independent work. And uh, we, Sasha and I are looking at each other on video. I know you're listening to the podcast, but Sasha, I noticed that your body language kind of slumped a little bit and your voice <laughs> got lower. Did you notice that? I kind of did because I'm like, that was a, that was a rough, I needed that class where I went to grad school and I was unsure if I was going to get it done. So everybody, the reason I asked her that was I'm modeling or I'm reflecting or mirroring back to her what I noticed in her nervous system. So I'm trying to attune to her. So as we're doing this podcast, I'm also literally actually trying to attune to her. So for all of you listening to as much as you can really try to attune to their nervous system and sometimes mirror back what's going on, because that just gave me really good information. She, and then that also gave her good information because she said, yes, she did notice that. And her voice went up and got more confident as she said that, because she's probably out of that mode. I'm not trying to do psychobabble or anything. These are things that we can all do is to attune to the person's nervous system. But I did notice that you got quieter and a little more slumped. It's so mm -hmm. interesting to note that because it's not just math and statistics and you feeling like you're not naturally good at math, but there is an emotional component to that for you. Yeah, for sure. Right. It did not feel good. Yeah. So I, anyhow, I, I would start 
you know, really using open-ended questions to kind of start to discover with, with my students and try to figure out where to navigate to figure out what's the problem. So we have this diagnosis. We, we use the label and the diagnosis as we can, but I am really want to do what I'm doing right now, which is getting down. So I'm going to use the diagnosis for what I can, but what's most important to me is starting with a problem. You know, it doesn't even matter what problem I could really go on with, with Sasha for days and, and exploring this. <laughs> and we could probably get some really <laughs> learn some cool things about you. And, and, um, but in terms of you being a student in that system, like I'd really want to get at, well, what, what, and I'm going to ask you this. So I'll, I'll do this with you. So, um, so Sasha, in terms of that class, let me ask you a couple of uh, temperature check questions. I'm going to do a temperature check with a teacher on a one to 10. How did you feel your connection with that teacher was? Zero. Cause I don't even remember anything about the teacher. Okay. And do you have other teachers that you remember pretty well? Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to, make sure because yeah. I don't know you that well. Okay, great. And then in terms of how you felt with your effort in the class on one through 10, what do you think that was? Um, that's a good question. Maybe like an eight. Yeah. Why? Um, because I sought a lot of outside help. Like I remember this is long. It was probably like 20, oh, 15 years ago now, <laughs> but I had to, um, I had to go over to like my friend's apartment and like have her help me and have someone else. Like I had to like seek out people to help me because I didn't think I was going to pass. Mm -hmm. Are you glad that you sought out that help? Yeah. Cause I don't think I would have gotten through. I wouldn't have passed it. So yeah. Yeah. And if you had a magic wand, you could go back in time to the beginning of that semester. Is there anything you would have done differently? I probably would have taken it in person and not online. Cause then I would have maybe remembered even like, I think not having a, it was, you know, this was like not the days of zoom and all that. So there wasn't like even a visual component. Cause I feel like even like picturing a teacher would have been helpful, like having someone in front of you. So I feel like that probably would have changed it. Awesome. I, I think that's, that's so good. That's, and we're doing the video. This is how we, we started our pre-interview for everybody listening is I was like, can we do the video? Cause I like to, <laughs> And funny? ironically, I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> um, so, no, I was happy to do that. That's kind of, so we have the label. And so that's my take on labels is that, um, you know, we, we get what we can from them, but I am very much more interested in asking real questions, doing temperature checks, asking open-ended questions, really fishing to find important, really game-changing information. But not only that, not only that, Sasha, I hope that after, I hope that after those three minutes of talking, I hope that, that you feel more connected and safe yeah. with me. Yeah. I feel like someone's so listening I, to you. Because the relationship between us, if I'm going to help you or if, if we're going to help a kid, oh my gosh, is so important for that kid to feel safe, for their nervous system, for them to know that they're safe with you. And again, as we've sort of alluded to throughout this call, when kids don't feel safe, their executive function is not is not doing as well. They mm -hmm. need to feel safe and seen. Oh, awesome. Let's end on that. That's a great point to end on. Let's end, end on that point. Thank you. I feel like we can go on a million more tangents, but I won't take um, any more of your time. Where can people go to learn more from you, Seth? You can go to SethPerler.com, S-C-T-H-P-E-R-L-E-R. Uh, you can go to YouTube and look up executive function or Seth or something, and I'm pretty easy to find or executive function summit.com. My summit will be coming up 
in summer where I have um, just some amazing human beings that we talk about executive function and how, how to help kids. So executivefunctionsummit.com. Great. We will link all of those in the show notes. Um, well, thank you so much, Seth. This has been so much fun. Sasha, thank you so much for what you do. And for everybody listening, again, thank you so much for what you do. I'm going to say it again. We need you. These kids need you. Thank you so much for your heart and everything you do. And please understand how awesome you already are and that you really have things that people might not know about how just creative and incredible you are. Please build your strengths like you want your kids, your students to build their strengths. Keep building your strengths. We need you. I really appreciate you out there because I like kids. And I like them having great <laughs> education. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.